Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 32. Psalms 32. When you get there, we're going to start at verse 1. Psalms 32, verse 1. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, speak and speak clearly, God. Give us understanding. Help us to learn it, God. Help us to love it and help us to live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalms 32, we're still talking about the same thing we've been talking about for a couple of weeks. What does it mean to be saved? What is salvation? And last week we went into what it is that God saves us from. We talked about how he saved us from sin, how he saves us from the power of sin, how he saves us and delivers us in times of temptation, how he's going to save us from death. And one thing we talked about how he saves us from judgment. And we're going to delve a little deeper into that point. What does it mean that he saves us from judgment? Because that can be a bit confusing in our modern times because we all grew up in this era of the hyper-evangelism where everybody, especially down here in the South, is saved. And come with that is the belief that just because I repeated after a preacher and said a magical prayer, that means I get to go to heaven. And people will tell you, I'm saved, that means I get to escape. But does that truly mean that when it comes to judgment? What does it mean for us to be saved from judgment? Because most of us think that on the day of judgment, because we believed in Jesus, only the sinners and those who have not confessed going to stand before God and be judged for their deeds. Then the rest of us, we just get to show our Jesus card and we walk in. Or you got the group that believes you show your Jesus card and you get in. And once you get in, then God going to judge you. And that just determines your reward. Some of us going to have big crowns. Some of us going to have little crowns. Some of us going to have no crown. But we all going to be saved. And it all goes back to that time that we made that confession. And so what we're going to wrestle with a little bit is, is that true? Do we truly understand the judgment and try to understand how is it that Jesus saves us from judgment? So we pick it up here in Psalms 32. Psalms 32, verse 1. Very famous scripture. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputed not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. So this is deep. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. This is what we understand. And the common idea is, this applies to everybody who raised their hand, who sit in that chair, who repeat after that preacher, get dunked in that pool. We all fall under this category. Our sins are forgiven. We get to go to heaven. But let's expand from here and see can we reconnect these scriptures with some other scripture that's talking about judgment. Go to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Psalm 62 11. It says, God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongs unto God, and also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his works. So watch that. This is David praising God. He said, power belongs unto God, that God has the power, is his. Said, also belongs unto you is mercy. So power and mercy is an attribute unto God. But he makes a very strange statement because when we think about mercy, we don't follow with this. He said, because thou renderest to every man according to his works. So God has mercy. God has power. And the reason we praise him for that, he says, because you render, you give to every man according to their works. So God is going to reward. God is going to pour out to every man according to their works, what it is that we do. Go to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 24. 24, 11. Proverbs 24, 11. It says, If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, though not he that pondereth the heart consider it, and he that keepeth thy soul, though not he know it, and shall not he render to every man according to his works? Same concept. This is Solomon speaking. Like if you see a man draw nigh unto death, 
and you forbear, or you hold back, you refuse to deliver the man, you refuse to help him out, he asked the question, doth not he that pondereth the heart considers it? Doth not he know it? So once you're doing something, asking the question, don't God know what you're doing? He's the one that tries the heart, that pondereth the heart. And it says, and he's going to render to every man according to their deeds. So every man is going to be judged. Every man is going to be weighed. Every man is going to be tried according to what we do. Now that sounds a bit strange. I wouldn't usually hear that in a quote-unquote New Testament church. Because the only thing they're going to ask you is, do you believe in Jesus? Saying St. Peter going to open the gates up. That's all we, that's what we've been trained. But the Bible has to remain true. And the question becomes, does it switch? Like, is it just an Israel thing? Go to Isaiah chapter 3. Just walk all the way through. Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 10. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. This is a proverb. He's saying, say ye to the righteous. This is what you tell the righteous people. It shall be well with him, for they shall eat according to their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. This is the message that God gave to the prophet Isaiah. For the righteous people, those who live a righteous life, says, tell them it's going to be good. You ain't got nothing to worry about. But for the wicked, it shall be ill. But the picture I want you to see is God is telling both sides, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to be punished according to your doings. The way in which you live determines the response of God on the day of judgment. There is no exemption. Go to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 19. We'll start at verse 17. I'd just like to read this a little bit. It says, <clears throat> 30, Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen said, Our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou shewest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosoms of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel, mighty in work, for thine eyes are open unto all the ways of the sons of men. To give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. This is the God that we serve. And the, and the crazy thing is, we don't hear too many songs about that. See, Jeremiah was praising God. And he was opening up his lip to praise God. And this is the song that he sang. God, you made me. God, you powerful. God, you're mighty. There is no other God like you. You got great counsel and you're going to judge everybody according to what they do. That don't sound like no song you hear on Hallelujah FM. Can you imagine? If they're riding down the street. My breakthrough is coming. And judgment is on the other side. Because <laughs> the Lord going to give to every man according to what they do. <laughs> that, don't, that don't sound quite happy right now. <laughs> you can't play that after the commercial for the psychic lady. <laughs> But this is what he's praising God for, that our God is a God of judgment. Our God is a God that's great in power, great in might, and judgment is a part of who he is. And if Jeremiah know what he's talking about, he's going to give to every man according to what they do. That's something to ponder. Every man according to their works. Now you can say, hold up, we say we're in the New Testament now. All that's the Old Testament. You're talking about David. You're talking about Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, could took to Ezekiel and a whole bunch of other places. See, they, they didn't understand the new covenant. And they don't understand that Jesus came and changed the whole game. So now we save. So we go. Go to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 verse 10. We'll start at nine. 
said, for to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be both, he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, said the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. That's a heavy verse there too. This is Paul speaking. And now we're going to start to get halfway deep. In this chapter, Paul is talking about our liberty as Christians. This is a famous concept for the church folks. And he's talking about our liberty, our freedom. And what he was going into in verse 14 was people judging each other based off eating certain kind of meats. So there was a big deal going on in the early church about what they ate. And Paul comes down to this end. It's like, this is the reason Christ died. Christ ain't died about no meat. He died and he revived to this end, to the end that he going to bring us. And he says, don't you go judging one another because we all shall give an account to God. And what he meant by that is, you don't sit there and parse every piece and every aspect of your brother's life. Whether you eat a certain kind of meat, whether you don't eat a certain kind of meat, that ain't something for y'all to be fighting about because that ain't what the kingdom of God is about. But we all shall give an account unto God. Then he quote a very evangelistic verse, but he's talking to church folks. What what do you say there? Verse 11. Said, for it is written, as I live, said the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Now we used to hear that when we out in the streets talking to the heathen. Every knee gonna bow, every tongue gonna confess. But he's speaking to this in the context of church. And the picture is, is that everybody that he's addressing to has to give an account. We're going to all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us going to show up there. There's coming a day where we're going to stand before God and we have to give an account of our lives. And there's nothing magical that we can do that can exempt us from this day of judgment. Say that again. There's nothing magical that we can do that will exempt us from this day of judgment. Whether you claim you're a Christian or whether you're out in the streets that thugging and doing your thing. All of us have to stand before God and all of us have to give an account of the life that we live in the body that he's given us. Getting wet does not exempt you from that. Repeating after that preacher does not exempt you from that. Learning the, 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 the church shout and how to shuffle your feet. It looked like a food. It does not exempt you from that. You still have to give an account. It does not matter how many times you spoke in tongues. It does not matter how long you tarried in the basement. It does not matter. We all have to stand before God. And we're all going to be given account for all that we do in all of our body and for all of our lives. Are y'all with me? And this is Paul saying this stuff. Like, hold up. Paul, you messed up. You don't understand the gospel, do it. We just supposed to show our Jesus call when we show up. I'm a believer. You know what I'm saying? You go skip the line like we at Disney World or Six Flags or something. What is going judgment? Oh, that ain't for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I ain't got, ain't got nothing to do with me. Go to Romans chapter 2. Matter of fact, skip to the end. I'm sorry. We can come back to Romans chapter 2. Go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. We're going to drive this point on home and we're going to bounce and drive it home because it's not a very common thing that we're supposed to tell one another. Revelations chapter 22. We'll start at verse 7. Let's just read this thing a little bit. This is the end of the book. It said, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. I'm starting at verse 7. I'm sorry. Revelation 22 verse 7. It said, Behold, I come quickly. This is Jesus speaking. Blessed is he that keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. 
And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which shewed me these things. Then said he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them that which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to every man according to his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is Jesus speaking. This is a heavy statement, the way to end the book. Jesus showing up. It's like, I'm coming, and I got my reward with me. Well, how are you going to dole out your reward, Jesus? To give to every man according to his works. This is the way Jesus is coming to reward. The judge of all the earth, he shall do right. But righteousness in judgment is not exemption from judgment. Forgiveness is not a free pass away from being judged. We shall all appear before God. And this is Jesus coming. He said, I'm going to give every man according to their works. Now, once you repeat after that preacher, are you still human? What's so funny? After you repeat after the preacher, are you still human? Or do you become some other type of being? So we still human after you repeat after that preacher. Okay, I'm just trying to make sure I understand. So you're still a human once you say, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. God, please forgive me. God, please forgive me. Once you do all that stuff, you're still a human. What about once you get dunked in the pool? Are you still a human? What about when they lay hands on you and you run around and you shout and you speak in tongues? Are you still human? So none of those things change you or stop you from being human. So that means you will fall under the category of every man. I'm just trying to make sure I can find an exemption for a man that ain't a man. There is no man that is not a man. So we all are human. So that means we all fall according to what Jesus said. So that means we all going to be judged based off what we do. Not simply what we believe. I'm like, hold up now. You're confusing me. For all these weeks you've been telling me that I'm saved if all I got to do is believe. And a part of that salvation is getting delivered from judgment. But now you're talking about what I do. That don't make no sense, do it? But y'all still don't believe me. Go to Romans chapter 2. We're going to run this all the way in the ground. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 verse 5. says, but after thy hardness and penitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. This is Paul again. God is going to render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. This is deep. So God got all this stuff. Tribulation, anguish, upon every soul of man that doeth evil, to the Jew first, and to the Gentile. Now this is Paul in the book of Romans. And he's telling you God got tribulation, anguish, wrath, all that stuff for everybody who do evil. Make sure I read that right. It's going to be tribulation, anguish upon every soul of man that do evil. So every soul of man. So after we repeat after that preacher, are we still a man? So we still a man. So that would include my soul. So once I repeat after that preacher, that does not exempt my soul from tribulation, wrath, and anguish if I do evil. It's still there. 
And this is in the book of Romans, the book that's supposed to be about salvation by faith alone. The book that tell you all you got to do is believe that it is not a works, least any man should boast. That's Ephesians. But this one talk about the same thing. Romans chapter five. That Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith, not because of the deeds that he did. And in that same book, to opening up that book, he's telling me that every soul of every man that does evil is going to get tribulation and anguish. But the soul of every man, it don't follow it up in 10 with the, but glory and honor and peace to every man that, that get that Jesus call and can repeat after that preacher to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Your virgins don't say that, do it? Okay. So repeating after that preacher don't give you glory, honor, and all that good stuff. According to Paul, doing good does that. But I thought it was salvation by faith alone. How can it be salvation by faith alone when I'm going to be judged by what I do in my body? Is the Bible confused? Does it contradict itself? Is there something we do not understand? Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. Now this is the dude that the church folk told you going to open up the gates for you now. Where they get that from? I have no idea. But he, this dude that's going to open up the gates for you. St. Peter at the gate. And this is what St. Peter, the man at the gate, telling you. So wherefore, gird up, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lust in your ignorance and giving you some things to do. Gird up your loins and expect to the hope of the grace that is to come. So there's a coming grace that's going to be shown us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that later. 14 said as obedient children, so just like children who do what they told. Don't fashion yourselves according to your former lust. Or not fashioning to yourselves according to your former lust. So be like children. Not going back and informing your life or shaping your life according to the old lust that was once within you. So you don't live according to the desires that once were you. That's not how you live. Instead you live like obedient children. And what he talking about as obedient children in verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So as obedient children, you mimic your father. As he would call you as holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. So you don't go into your former form of lust, but you pattern your life after your father like an obedient child. Like my son, I'm embarrassed him a little bit. He probably don't even remember this. But when he was, he was a younger, me and him, we used together a lot. Pretty much all the time. Rode on my shoulder, ride on my arm, I called this his throne. He used to call him the bomb. He probably don't remember that nickname. My son was the bomb. What's that? Daddy, big old man. <laughs> and he was with me so much to his mama. Asked him one day. He like five, six, seven years old when she did this. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, a daddy. <laughs> he said he wanted to be a daddy when he grew <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> but that gives a depiction of what it be like when you spend time under your father. It shapes your mind. Because like I said, we look what we was together all the time. It was times when in my old church I was playing the drums with one hand because my son was in the other hand. <laughs> because we were always together. And that shaped his mind to the point where he couldn't imagine being nothing other than what his daddy was. And the only thing he knew his daddy was was a daddy. <laughs> That's all he knew about his daddy. He's that daddy. So what he wanted to be was a daddy. And that's the same picture that Peter is giving here. As obedient children, be you holy in all manner of conversation like your father in heaven is holy. So imitate your father. That's what you're supposed to do. Because, verse 16, it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. 17, and if you call on the father who without respect of persons, hold up, Peter finna mess up. Judge it according to every man's work Past the time of your sojourning here in fear. 
For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He goes into our salvation, but he takes this little power. Why in the world did the man at the gate have to say that? Like, if you call upon the father who without respect to persons judges according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear. So he's saying that this God, this father, the one who we're supposed to imitate is going to judge every man according to their work. And so that's why we need to be holy as our father in heaven is holy. That's why we need to be as dear children, obedient children and imitate our father because there's judgment coming and this judgment. We don't get a free pass. It does not exempt us for having to give an account of the thing that we have done in our body. And this is the dude at the gate. The dude at the gate is telling you, hey, get ready. Because I'm going to be at the gate. And I'm not going to ask for your Jesus car. You're going to have to give an account to the father who's going to judge without respect to persons. Oh, I just got another idea. No, messed it up. Peter shot me down already. But when you repeat after that preacher, you raise your hand, you sit in that chair, you respond to that altar call, do you stop being a person? You're still a person. Golly. Because he said without respect to persons. So I like if I'm not a person and he showed me favor to that means he's not respecting persons, he's respecting something else. But since I'm not a person, he can't show me no special favors. So I got to get the same job. And I thought, thought y'all were going to help me. So there's nothing I can do that can stop me from being a person or stop me from being human. So that means there's nothing I can do that can exempt me from this day of judgment. That can exempt me from having to give an account of the deeds done in my body. Jesus going even deeper. Matthew 12, you don't got to turn now. He said, you shall give an account for every idle word that you speak. That's heavy. Then he get, dig, dig a little deeper. He said, for by your speech shall you be justified or by your speech shall you be condemned. Like, hold up. You mean you're going to send me to hell because what I say? Don't what happened to the God that knows my heart? That, that don't sound right. Like Jesus being mean. How you going to get me for what I say? Just think about that. I got to give an account for every idle word that comes out of my mouth. Because by your mouth, you shall be justified. Or by your mouth, you shall be condemned. Because a mouth is a work of the body. So this idea that God knows my heart and that somehow exempts me from this level of judgment seems to be a bit false. Because he tries my heart. He tries my actions. He tries the words that I speak, the thoughts that I think. He know them all. And I have to give an account for them. None of these things exempt me from judgment. And now if you think about it, him knowing my heart is a little bit more dangerous than him watching my actions. Because I would rather just have him judge what I do more than what, what, what's going on in my heart. Because especially when I was young and an angry young man, I wanted to slap a whole lot more people than I actually slapped. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. Well, mama can testify. I fought a whole lot as a young man. I, I fought quite often. But I did not fight as many times as I wanted to. One time I got kicked out of school too many times. Like, man, we can't fight. Nah, man, I just got back in school. Man, I can't get suspended no more. They created retract. Y'all call it ensue suspension now. At my elementary school, we had no, no concept of that. It did not exist. I never heard of it. Nobody in the school ever heard of it. Till one day, this little kid, nappy head, tall, slim, joker from Cedar Park, walked up in that school and kept getting in trouble and kept getting in trouble and kept getting in trouble and kept getting kicked out over and over again. I don't know how many annual leave days my mama used because she <laughs> had to come up to school to the point where they said he cannot come back to the school till you bring him back. 
And they created in-school suspension for me. They thought they were smart. You know what they did? They figured, if we keep kicking him out, he's going to keep coming back. So let's just put him in a room by himself, <laughs> get in work, and pass. And be somebody else's headache. But in that, all that fighting I did, I did not slap everybody I wanted to slap. Because you know what? It was some people that were bigger than me. That I wasn't quite sure about. Like, hold up. <laughs> you know I'm going to keep on talking and all that junk. I'm going to have to show you something. <laughs> now, the other little boy, the pow, and fired the mouth. You better not say nothing else again. <laughs> but this one, all right, say one more thing. <laughs> well, I'm going to get him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Deep down in my heart, I, I, I was way better, worse than what I really was in my action. And don't you confess because I'm just talking about me. Raise your hand in your heart. How many of y'all, when you look at your heart, your heart is a whole lot worse than your action? How many times you want to just, just go off on your mama or your boss or something like that and you just end up walking in your room, mama? Because your heart is a whole lot bolder than your actions is. How many times you just want to pick up something and throw it through the window at work and just go straight Radio Raheem off up in that thing? <laughs> we all get the reference of though. To go straight crazy off of it now. Cause they didn't got on your last nerve. But in your heart, you want to keep your job. Cause you know, if you go crazy, they're going to fire you and you ain't got no other way to feed your family. And if you miss this check, they're going to be bad. So your heart can be a whole lot worse than your actions. But God going to judge both of them. And your confession and your standing up and saying that I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus does not exempt you from any of it. So how do we reconcile the two? Because we're talking about we were saved from judgment. So what does that mean? Go to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 9. This is Paul praying. Said so for this cause we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. And the other one we talked about last week, who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, so check what Paul is saying. Now, this is his prayer. We talked about all them alls, the all strength, the all might, all deep down on the inside. He given us these alls and he said that we give thanks to the father who have made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. So God has done something that has made us It'll be way good. He made us worthy. He brought us into a position where we fit the description to inherit the righteousness of the saints. So the things that the holy people get at the day of judgment, he has done something that makes us worthy to receive those things. That's what he means. He made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. So when Isaiah was talking about those who do righteousness, it shall be well for them. He has done something that has made us fit into that category where it shall be well for us. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So God in his perfection, God in his wisdom has not changed his standard of judgment. He's still a perfect God. He's still a God of all judgment. He's still the judge of all the earth and we're included in these people on the earth. He's still going to render to every man according to his works. But in his wisdom, he has found a way for us to be meek to receive the righteous inheritance, not the other one. So there's a work that goes forth in this thing that we call salvation that alters us. And by altering us, it alters our destiny. Y'all understanding what I'm saying? So you still going to have to give an account of everything that you do. But if you be in Christ Jesus. What you do has changed. 
because he has made you meet to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saint. He has delivered you. He has saved you from the power of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. So no longer I'm a part of the rest of the world. No longer I'm do I have to yield myself to the power of darkness because that's the thing that make me walk according to the patterns of this world. That's the thing that make me an enemy of God. That's the thing that make me a child of wrath. But I've been delivered from that. And in delivering me from that, he has made me meet. I mean, he made me good. He made me equitable. He made me worthy to be a part of the saints. So that's how God can judge every man according to his works. But I still be exempt from judgment. And that's the blessing in us of us who have our sins forgiven. Because coming with the forgiveness of sins is not just a pass. Because if God was just to exempt me, because I've said a magical prayer, that means he will have to apologize to everybody he judged and damned for the same deeds that I have done. And that don't quite make sense. I don't see God going around because if you have to apologize, you're saying what? I messed up. And God being a perfect being can't mess up. So when he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, how many times did they sin? Anybody remember? Well, I know that was a long time ago. <laughs> they sinned one time. And that one sin exempted them from the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was the place of God's presence. It was the place where God came and dwelt with them. It was the sanctuary that he built for them. And they got kicked out of that sanctuary forever because they sinned one time. It was a dude who dwelt in the very presence of God, worshiping God, around the very throne of God, who got exalted and lifted up in pride. How many times did he get lifted up in pride? One time. And at one time, got him booted at the very presence of God. In the Bible, somebody he reserved or preserved in eternal darkness until the day of judgment. So his destiny has been sealed because he did what? One sin. Now, raise your hand in your heart. How many of y'all beat them? I mean, you did more than one. Don't, don't, don't tell nobody now. I don't want nobody to get out of all in your business. Just raise your hand in your heart. If you ever beat Satan or Adam or Eve, because they got one and got the boot. All right, everybody in the exam and raise your hand. You don't raise your hand. I lie. Raise your hand in your heart. <laughs> yeah, raise your hand in your heart. Now, if you can raise your hand in your heart and say you beat them, Think about that for a second. Now, this might sound a little blasphemous. Now, I know y'all some good people and all that type of stuff. But would that mean you worse than Satan? <laughs> like, would that mean that? Would that mean that you worse than him? It's like he wanted to be God. That's what he wanted to do. He got lifted up in pride. He wanted to sit in the place of God. You were born acting like it. You think the whole world revolve around you. Think you can do what you want, when you want. And get a little deeper. Some of y'all had good upbringing and raised in the church and the folk, church folk told you what you're supposed to do and told you what God said. And you got so smart that you could figure out you could do what God said don't do and everything's still going to be all right. So you can exempt and disobey God, live life your own way, and get the blessings and the benefits and the breakthroughs and the manifestations of the fruition and all that good stuff that they told you about in the crunk church. And everything's still going to be okay. That makes it seem like you're a little worse than Satan. I'm saying because when, when Jesus cast out that demon and, and Jesus showed up on the scene, the demon cried out. He said, son of man, please don't torment us before it's our time. That tell me something. The demon understood that he was wrong and judgment was coming and that this guy had the power to execute me more than had the power he had the right. So he trembled. That's what James was talking about. 
Just saying you believe ain't enough because the devils believe and they do tremble. And we saw an example of that when Jesus came and cast out the demon. They were begging for mercy, like, please don't do it before the time. Like, hold up now. But we, walking around here, reading the word of God, seeing the power of God demonstrated in our lives, we think that we can disobey God, rebel against God, live a life apart from God, and we don't even beg for mercy. We just think we can say, now nah, let me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul he keep. And everything I did is like gone away and I don't have to give an account for nothing. Would that make us worse than them demons? Do we have a little more pride than what they got? Because at least they know. At least when the presence of God come, they tremble. They get scared. But we can go home, watch our porn, come to church, raise our hand. And no fear ever be in our heart. More than that, when somebody tells you wrong, you get mad. Be like, hold up, who are you to judge me? I'm like, dude, all I said, pray the Lord. <laughs> but we have that indignation in our heart. And we go a little bit deeper. We have the expectation that God has to forgive me. That I'm supposed to be able to say the certain right things at the certain right time, and God has to respond in a certain way because I got the right to be who I am and do what I can. He can't judge everybody. You got to forgive everybody. That sounds a bit prideful to me. Like I said, them demons, they know that. They know that they're at the mercy of God, and anytime He wants to, He could crush them. But we think we, in our own strength and our own power, ain't nothing God can do to us. And if He do us wrong, He doing us wrong. That if we get what we deserve, God is somehow unjust. God has somehow thwarted the whole planet and did this great injustice and threw Mars out, out way past Pluto. Like the whole universe is out of balance. Because I got something I respond. I got something I deserve. Because I said that prayer. I repeated after that preacher. I know that I be out there sleeping around. I know me and my girlfriend, we ain't married and doing all that stuff. And I really ain't got no intentions of getting married. I'm saying, but God knows my heart, and I know I'm a Christian. How you know? Because I repeated after that preacher, and I know I'm going to heaven. How you know? Because I know I'm a Christian. How you know? Because I repeated after that preacher. So one day you repeated after the preacher, or one day your mama sat you down and said a little prayer with you and told you that you were Christian, and now how we Christians, and so your mama convinced you not God, that the youth group made you a believer, not God. So now you got a Christian testimony without a Christian life. And you're going to get a heathen reward and you're going to be mad. Because a Christian testimony without a Christian life does not equal the Christian reward because God going to judge every man according to their deed. But if you truly believe in Jesus, we have hope. And our hope is not in my ability to discipline myself and to change my actions and to change the way that I walk and to change the way that I talk. My only hope is in the mercy of God because might and power is with God. And mercy with God with God because he give every man according to their deeds. So since I know that it's true and I know who the judge is, I can say, hey, bro, please help me out. And I have a promise from him that he can change me and make me meet to be a partaker of the inheritance of light of the children of the saints he can do that in me and I don't have to worry I don't have to tremble on the day of judgment I can stand boldly at the day of judgment because as he is so am I hold up now how can you say that that very problem you can't be going around saying you like Jesus but Jesus in me and that's the only hope I got so if I can't be like him and he in me I ain't got no hope so the only thing I rest in is Jesus be in me. Jesus be a fence around me. Jesus be my strength, my salvation, my song. Give me hope, give me joy because you're the only thing that I can trust in because judgment is coming and I don't have the power to stand up. I'm saying the judge is coming. I ain't got no money to pay my fine. Brother broke. But when I stand there, he's going to be asking for, for all the fine, court fees and everything. What are it going to cost you? Your whole soul. And I can't get that up. Because I ain't got no of them. 
But I have a savior. Go to Hebrews. We're going to take this thing on home. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's deep. That's heavy. Read that one more time. I like the scripture. It said, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So this is what we have. We put our hope in the God of peace. And, and look at the picture that he painted. It's the God of peace that does what? That brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I love the picture that the Bible gives us when he gives us that. In reference to make me strong enough to do the will of God, he speaks unto the God that brought again the man from the dead. Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. His body was marred beyond the state that his own mama can look at him and know that that's my son. That's how bad he was tortured. That's how jacked up he was. Buried, put in a cave for three days. But the very God of peace, the God of all the universe, the God of creation brought him again from the dead with all power, with all might and restored him to the point where you could not recognize that he had just been crucified. The only signs that remained of his death, the only signs that remained of his torture was the nails in his hand and the piercing in his side, the stuff that he wanted to stay there. To show you that he was the lamb that was slain. That God wasn't pulling no tricks. That he can transform a dead man and make him alive. That he can transform something that was tattered, beaten, abused, misused and make it brand new. And that very God of peace. Through the blood of the covenant, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can make you perfect or complete to do the will of God. He, This is a promise that he's given us. So when it comes to the day of judgment, I don't plead upon myself and my ability to walk right. When it comes to the day of judgment, I don't look for some exemption or some go around. What I have is this God of peace. And I plead with him day by day. I seek for him day by day. I intercede and just search for him and ask that he be in me, perfecting me because he promised me that he can do it. And if he do what he said he can do, God can judge me according to my works because my works are going to be because look at that. He can make you perfect in every good work to do his will. That's what he can do. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will. So if it's the will of God, according to Paul, what's first Corinthians chapter seven, I think I'm thinking about it. It's the second Corinthians. What well, says the will of God is your sanctification. That every man should know how to possess his vessel in honor. Now that's the will of God for you. So if I'm single and this is the will of God for me to possess my vessel in honor and to honor him in my with my life, in my singleness, and God can make me perfect, that means complete. That means I have the ability to be whole and single and not disobey the will of God. But what about my biology? I'm saying there's chemicals and all that type of stuff that be going on. That, that, that creates passion, that creates desire, and all that type of stuff. If your biology is the problem, who made the molecules? The God of the very universe. He has the ability to regulate those chemicals and leave them at the proper portions that they need to be at so that you can be holy. Now, they never heard a scientific stay holy and single talk. <laughs> I'm saying he can keep the estrogen and the testosterone at the right levels. And all the endorphins and hormones that get the raging and going on, God can, God can regulate that stuff because he can make you perfect. So that means he can put you in right balance to do his will. Are you with me? It is the will of God that I rejoice with the rights of my youth. 
Did I dwell with her according to knowledge? Did I cherish her like a weaker vessel? But she crazy. And I got anger problems. You know what I'm saying? It's just being my family. You just don't understand because all this stuff, my uncle like that, my granddad like that, and all of us, I'm saying, so she just need to understand that she need to leave me alone. No, you need to understand that you're a man. And you have a responsibility to your wife to love her, to cherish her, to be there for her, to care for her, even to be ravished with her, as Solomon says. You can do that because God can make you perfect. So if you got an anger problem, you know what I'm saying? You, you got some rages and some fits and you need to go in the room and count and do all that foolishness. God can give you to the place where you can do instantly go in the room and count without even going anywhere. Like how you can do that? I mean, your wife can say something stupid and you can say, I understand, baby. Because <laughs> you got a supernatural, a spiritual go in the room and count. That God translated your soul into the room and let you count and instantaneously calm came over your soul. <laughs> because he made me perfect to do his will he can do that why can't he why is it that God can't supernaturally make me go in the room and account without sending me in the room and count which means I don't have to go nowhere why he can't do that why he can't put me at a place where I can express disgust I can express frustration without anger that I can talk to my wife, that I, that I can love on my wife and respond to my wife in a way that is kind, a way that is compassionate, in a way that shows that I dwell with her according to her knowledge, in a way that shows that I cherish her, even though I'm an angry man. Like, why ain't that possible? It's like God hates the covering with violence. God hates divorce. So that means all the other stuff that that lead to, God hates that. But I can do his will and be unto every pleasing good work. So that means I can stay away from them things that God hates. Are y'all with me? It's tax time. And you broke. And the president that everybody hates has increased the child tax credit. So I get a little more money from the child tax credit. But I ain't got enough children to get enough to make a difference. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? My sister ain't got no job. It's just like my nephew, my son. So I can put him on that thing and get there and take advantage of that increase from the president that everybody hates. But that would be lying. And God has the ability to make me perfect in every good work so that I don't have to lie. Are y'all understanding? So when that lady walk up behind you at the counter in the grocery store and you got that big old bill and you realize you picked up more stuff than you can have to, and he's like, hey, I got these stamps. You don't want to pay cash for all that. You can respond and say, I got the Jesus because I'm straight. <laughs> because God can change you and God can transform you. Are y'all with me? Now, do anybody got any questions? Uh, okay, just <clears throat> I'm going to wrap my head around this, I think. Um, so what we're saying is through you're saying what the word is teaching um, it's through our belief in Christ that Christ can do a work in us that causes us to do good works. But I'm doing good works because I believe that Christ is doing good work in me. Right? Yeah, that... you're getting up. <clears throat> My faith in Jesus, the, the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, said we're saved by grace through faith and and, and where the change comes in a lot of people put we sell i mean faith is the thing that saves us no faith in the thing is the thing that puts us in a position to be saved what saves us is the grace of god and what the grace of god is the power of god acting in me and on my behalf so when i believe grace is activated in me and I begin, that causes me to walk in the way that God wants me to walk. Titus 2.11 says, the grace of God has prepared unto all men that bring salvation. And it teaches me to abstain from all ungodly lusts and worldly lusts and to live righteously and soberly in this present world. So it's that grace that's in me that teach me to abstain and that's teaching me how to live right. But faith is the thing that puts me in a position for that grace to be lived through me. You understand what I'm saying? So my faith it's the vehicle that allows the power of God to be manifested through me. 
So all I need to do is trust in him. But what I'm trusting him to do to make me and what he created me to be, to do his perfect work in me. And I'm just relying in on that. So it's not like some people think that I believe. And so now I need to try hard because I want to please God. So I'm trying my best. I believe and now I need to trust hard and look for the power of God to push me, to compel me. Ezekiel 36 says that he calls me to walk according to his statutes and his commandments. So as long as I'm believing, as long as I'm trusting, I'm depending on him to do something through me that gives me the energy and the power to do everything that he wants me to do. It's like when you were short and y'all used to play basketball. I'm saying that you want to dunk. And you got the big dude on the team standing in front of the goal and do this. You don't have the power to get up there. But you have to trust him that he has enough power to get you there. And so you just run to him and put your foot in his lap. And he puts you up there. And you dunk that thing like you spoiled well. Now, you get some people who don't trust him. And what they do? Hold up, hold up, man. <laughs> and so you, you're making an effort like you're running toward, but you don't give it all to him. So since you don't give it all, he can't push you all the way up there. Uh, when you put your foot in the lap, some people grab onto the show. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, dog. But what we want to do is just run and let him boost us up there. But it's all come back to the work of God and him working through us. And that's the only thing that we can depend on. So I don't watch my works as far as to validate me and being in God because I'm a liar and I can trick myself. And I don't even trust the fact that I'm dependent. I just continually seek after Jesus. And that's all I do. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith. That's how I lay aside every sin and every evil word. I mean, every sin that easily besets us. So my goal is just to keep looking after Jesus, to keep running after him, and to keep pursuing him, and just to trust that whatever he said he going to do, he going to do. That when it's all said and done, I'm going to be what I'm supposed to be, I'm going to do what I have supposed to do because I'm trusting him to do it. That makes a little sense to you. Yes, yes. So in judgment, he's looking at those things that I was supposed, like you said, those things I should have done through well, him through me, that mm-hmm. whole thing. Yeah. So, and I'm getting judged according to, um, I guess, my alignment with those things. You're getting judged according to your works. Right. But since he's the one that's doing the works, your work's going to be good. Right. And everything that came before that, he said he make it disappear. Mm-hmm. So he forgives you for your past and he eradicates that whole thing. So your life starts over what Jesus starts, what Jesus starts in you. And so your works, when it, when it's all said and done and he opened up the books, you're going to have righteousness in there because righteousness would live through you. Because that's what Jesus did. And everything before that, you already died for it. That debt has already been paid. When did you die? When you came into him because you died when he died and you rose when he rose. So if you enjoy Jesus, you have died and been resurrected already. The old life is over with. you dead. So when they bring up your old sins, I already paid for them. I already died for that. Now, they want you who died with Jesus who died for you, but you can say that because you were buried with him. And that's the picture of baptism. It makes a little sense with you. What does it mean to believe? Believe means to trust and to depend on somebody, to rely upon them to do what they said they're going to do. What is judgment? Judgment is when you test somebody or declare them to be either good or bad based on some standard. What are vain conversations? Vain conversations or idle conversations are just empty stuff, it's useless stuff that they don't mean about nothing. What does a groom didn't mean? A what now? Exempted means you don't have to, it don't apply to you. What does what does reconcile mean? To reconcile is to bring back together, to reunite something. What what does exalted mean? Exalted is to lift up or to make higher than what it is. What is a testimony? A testimony is something that you give speaking on the behalf of somebody else. What is inheritance? Inheritance is what your daddy going to give you 
with all that money. <laughs> but it's something you receive from somebody else that they leave for you. What is recondition? Huh? Recondition. To do it over again. So when something was messed up, you put it in the same place that like it was supposed to be. So God is going to like judge you on your actions and your life that you've done and your heart? Mm-hmm. Okay. A question on uh, Romans 2 that you read earlier. Okay. Um, 9 and 10, which said, Tribulation and anger. Anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But what do you say to those that say, well, the same person can do both good and evil? What do you mean? Well, it's like, okay, this, this, these, these are going to be the results of what a man that does evil is tribulation and anguish. Mm-hmm. But so people will say, well, oh, okay. I've done e- evil sometimes, but I've also worked good, okay. too. I, so I, I get you. No, I, I get all of it? <laughs> do you get all of it? No. Because when it means to do good, and, it, and it, <clears throat> the verb tense is there is those that work it good. So it's a continuous thing. And that working good is you're continually doing good. That's It's overall. And to do evil is a continuous thing. You continually doing evil. So if you got evil, I mean good, spotted with evil, you only have evil. Because once something has been corrupted, once something has been defiled, it is defiled. And that's the picture that he even gives us in the Old Testament. It's like you can have a perfectly good something. Then if a defiled person touches it, he tells you, you burn it and throw the whole thing away. Because it has been defiled. Like, hold up. Like, my house was good. <laughs> but once defilement is found in it, the rule is you get rid of the whole thing. And Jude even makes reference to that. Like, when we deliver people from sin, we say, Eden hating the garment, which is stained. So there's a corruption and there's a staining that takes place in sin. And all of that has to be removed. So once evil enters into it, it's evil. And that's why Matthew says only the pure in heart shall see God. So if you got any defilement in there, it's, it's not pure. No matter how much, it's only if it's just 1% defilement, it's defilement. It, that makes sense to you? It's like when that little black thing you find flow around in your Sprite. You're like, hold up. <laughs> you like me, you put your finger in there. like, what is that? You go, you go on drink. <laughs> but some of y'all finicky people throw the whole thing away. Like, hold up, dog. I paid a dollar ten cents for that. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else got any questions? You do. And in Exodus, and, and I don't know what chapter, but it talks about that t- God told the Muse to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go so they can worship me. Mm-hmm. And also God tell, not tell, but he hardened his Pharaoh's heart. So my question is, if God is hardened Pharaoh's heart, how he's going to let the people go? Okay, very, very good, very good and insightful question. So, so basically, did God set Pharaoh up? Like, he had no way of doing what God told him to do. The answer is yes and no. Because if you read back, you got to go back to Genesis, that God had declared to Abraham that his people were going to be taken captive. And then they were going to be brought back to the nations. to said, because the iniquity of these people are not yet full. But when I come back, I'm going to bring judgment against that nation. So they were in a position where God was ready to judge that nation. So Pharaoh was going to be judged because of all the sins that he did and him declaring himself to be God and all the foolishness that he did. So in that sense, yes, Pharaoh was doomed. But in the hardening of his heart, what God was doing was bringing him to the place of judgment and the bible gives this picture it, it, it said it in revelations let him that is unjust be unjust still so it's a picture of god giving you over to the desires of your heart so if you want to be in a place and you continue in that place god will let you have it 
So that's all he did with Pharaoh. Pharaoh set himself up to be God. Pharaoh rebelled against the knowledge of God. So God just let him have it. Okay. And the other thing, in, and also in the, in the Exodus, that God say, I am the father of Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham. Mm-hmm. So, and I also heard the people praying, father of the God, those things. So why is only three? Why not? Why did he only mention those? Very Sorry. beautiful question. Very insightful. And the reason he only mentioned those three was to show you and separate himself out from the rest of the gods of the nations. Because what you have in this time is the, sto- is the beginning of the story of redemption. So God has clearly demonstrated himself to be God and has placed the rest of salvation into the seed of one man. And he begins to track all salvation through these people. So when he's talking about he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what he's saying is I'm the God that came with that promise that all the nations are going to be blessed. And this is the way he identified himself with that nation, the nation of Israel. And that was the lineage that he revealed himself through. Because to just say God, a whole bunch of people had God. So he had to specify what God he was talking about. And they knew him from the dreams that Abraham told them and the encounter that Jacob had. In a revelation and encounter that Isaac had, that there was this special God that doing something special through this special group of people that got a promise for all the nations. That's different from all the rest of them. But this is how he identified himself. And then you know from that point on, he revealed himself to Moses by his personal name, Yahweh. So it's not too far after that where you, it decreases the amount of time he said the God of Jacob, Isaac. I mean the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So then he becomes the God of Israel. Uh, the Lord God, Yahweh God, because now they know who he is. He has been separated in all the nations, and he revealed himself to all the nations when he set Israel free and judged all the other gods. That makes sense to you. 